Hey guys, I'd like to introduce you to a new podcast that I know you're going to love. Do you like travel? Do you like picturesque locations and getting away from it all? Well, this new podcast has all that and murder. It's called Slaycation, and it's a darkly humorous look at murders and mysterious deaths that took place on vacation. Hosted by a true crime fanatic, her comedy writer husband and his TV producing partner, Slaycation brings a unique perspective to chilling, thrilling, and WTF stories of vacations gone horribly wrong. From the twisted tale of Harold and Tony Henthorne, whose romantic anniversary in the Rocky Mountains ended with one of them falling off a cliff, to Angelica and Vincent, two recently engaged lovebirds whose Hudson Valley kayaking adventure ended underwater. Each episode of Slaycation will have you asking, accident or murder? But it's not just the stories that'll intrigue you. It's the discussion between a longtime married couple and business partners who happen to be Emmy-nominated TV producers. Each episode of Slaycation also includes humor, takeaway and travel tips that will keep your next vacation from being your last. If you're ready to pack your body bags, Slaycation is available on all major podcast platforms. Search for Slaycation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name's Otis Gray, host of The Daily Book Club, a daily podcast where I read wonderful old books one chapter at a time. Simple as that. Whether you want to get engaged and lost in a fascinating story that has stood the test of time, or just relax to a good book, listen to The Daily Book Club to get wrapped up or unwind during your day. We'll read classic stories like Pride and Prejudice, The Enchanted April, The Wind in the Willows, beautiful stories all told from start to finish. And you can even do a real book club. Tune into the Daily Book Club Discord and discuss the readings with other book club listeners. However you want to listen, it's your choice. Subscribe to the Daily Book Club on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else. New episodes every single day. So sit back, relax, and get lost in the Daily Book Club. Welcome back for another episode of Twisted News, where we get you up to date on some of the most terrifying stories currently happening in the world. This week, we're looking into an extremely twisted story of a girl so obsessed with true crime that she just had to try it out herself. And then, we're headed over to Ohio to hear about a case that really went overboard, as it had eight family members found murdered in a single day in four different homes. Get ready for Scary Mysteries, Twisted News. Number 1. The Curiosity Killing of a Tutor 23-year-old Jung Yoo Jung from the city of Busan in North Korea, much like you guys and myself, loved true crime. He watched documentaries and read books about all the most twisted and sinister killers from around the world. She, of course, went down many rabbit holes on YouTube about the subject. While many people do this from time to time, of course, Jung was a bit different. Her fixation was not merely a passive interest. No, she liked true crime in a way that was an active, dangerous curiosity. And she was fixated on the idea of trying out a murder, so much so that it occupied her mind day and night, until finally she decided to take action. 
Since she just needed to know what it was like, Jung didn't want to hurt anyone she knew personally, so she decided to find a way to have her victim come to her. By using an online tutoring app that was meant for education and growth, this would now be a tool used for something much darker. For months, Jung scoured through profiles, contacting over 50 potential targets, but she needed to find the perfect match. Her criteria was specific. She preferred women so she wouldn't be overpowered, and she needed to know if they taught from home. It was meticulous work until finally, in May of 2023, she found her. Imposing as a concerned mother seeking English lessons for her high schooler, Jung contacted a 26-year-old English language teacher. The teacher, whose identity remained shielded under South Korean law, had no idea of the danger that was about to enter her life. On the day of the murder, Jung arrived at the tutor's home disguised in a schoolgirl's uniform purchased online. The teacher, who only wanted to help someone in a kind-hearted way, welcomed her in. It was pretty much immediate after that when Jung unleashed her brutal attack in which she stabbed the teacher over a hundred times in a frenzy that continued even after the victim had passed away. But the horde and there, Jung dismembered the body, coldly transporting some of the remains in a blood-soaked suitcase to a remote park near a river north of Busan. There was a taxi driver, unsettled by the gruesome contents of the suitcase dripping in blood, that tipped off the police. Jung's arrest revealed a chilling backstory. Her online browsing history was a roadmap to murder, filled with searches on how to kill and how to dispose of a body. The police would later reveal that Jung had also scored alarmingly high on a psychopath test. Yet, despite her meticulous planning and knowledge of all things true crime, Jung was careless in other ways made no effort to avoid CCTV cameras, which captured her entering and leaving the tutor's home multiple times. And of course, it was sloppy with how she disposed of the remains. The court's sentence reflected the gravity of the crime. Jung's plea for leniency based on claims of hallucinations and mental disorders was rejected. The crime was too calculated and too cold-blooded. Her shifting statements to the police only further eroded any credibility to her defense. In the end, the Busan District Court's judge condemned the act for its impact on society, highlighting the fear and distrust it spread among the community. The crime was a harrowing reminder that evil can strike randomly, without reason, and for that, she received a life sentence. Though South Korea hasn't carried out an execution since 1997, prosecutors' request for the death penalty in this case underscores the severity of Jung's actions. It was a crime born from a twisted curiosity, a fascination with the macabre that turned deadly. Number 2. The Piketon Village Tragedy In Pike County, Ohio, lies the village of Piketon, a community knit tightly by familiar faces and shared histories. But on a regular morning back in April of 2016, an unspeakable horror unfolded and it left eight family members of the Roden family dead in four different locations. Piketon, 
with its 820 households, had always, up until this point, been a canvas of normal rural life, until that day of April 22nd, when the entire street of Hill Road basically became a crime scene. The first inklings that something bad had happened hit when Bobby Joe Manley, who was 40-year-old Chris Roden Sr.'s sister-in-law, arrived at his property for her routine morning chore of feeding the dogs and chickens. But the sight that greeted her inside the man's trailer was beyond comprehension. Chris and his cousin, 38-year-old Gary Roden, lay lifeless, bearing the marks of an intense and violent assault. 7.49 a.m., then made a frantic call to 911, her voice trembling with a grim revelation. Very close by was another trailer, and this one belonging to Chris Sr.'s son, 20-year-old Frankie Roden, who lived with his fiancée, Hannah Gilly. Bobby Joe knocked on their door. That's when Frankie's three-year-old son, the sole witness, opened it and, covered in blood, could only articulate the horror in his innocent words that his dad was playing zombie. Both Frankie and Hannah had been shot, Nearby in another house, Dana Roden, Chris Sr.'s ex-wife, and two of their children, 16-year-old Chris Jr. and 19-year-old Hannah May, were also found killed, each of them having been shot as well. By the early afternoon in the fourth location, Kenneth Roden, Chris Sr.'s brother, was discovered with a fatal wound through his eye, his body surrounded by a curious scattering of dollar bills. It was, in total, a scene of utter chaos and horror. The community was shook, of course, paralyzed with fear and disbelief at what had occurred, and it was a rampage that the local authorities were overwhelmed by. Because of the sheer magnitude of the crime, they called in the State Bureau of Criminal Investigations to assist, and right away they knew this was not going to be an easy one to crack. As they dug in, this case became a labyrinth that led down many different paths. With no witnesses, no fingerprints, and no DNA, the question then remained, how could such a massacre unfold in Piketon, and why? With all eight victims being shot in the head, some multiple times with several different weapons, this was no random attack, but a coordinated effort by several perpetrators working together to snuff out the rodents. The killers, though they left no DNA, had left behind distinct shoe prints marked in blood. And there were at least two sets, so they knew they had at least two people involved. The shoe prints were clear enough that they could be traced back to being sold at a local Walmart, which, though might not seem all that significant, became a crucial lead. A decent-sized weed-growing operation out one of the sheds discovered by detectives made them think at first that this could have been a drug-related crime. But, as they looked further, they found out that these murders were something much more personal. Hannah, who was Frankie's fiance, had a two-year-old daughter from a previous relationship with a man named Jake Wagner. Hannah had been with Jake for six years and was madly in love with him, she even lived with the Wagners for some time before she and Jake broke up. Jake lived with his older brother and their parents, and just a year after the murders, they all packed everything up and moved to Alaska. And meanwhile, that pair of shoes from Walmart, 
Well, it was traced back to having been bought by someone in the Wagner family. Authorities searched through everyone's social media and text records, and that's when they found that it seemed like Jake and Hannah were having a bit of a custody battle over Sophia. So, now there was a motive. In 2018, the Wagners then moved back to Ohio, at which point their every move and calls were traced by police. In one of those wiretaps, Mother Angela was heard telling her sons, we're running on borrowed time. And Jake responded with, Mom, you're being paranoid. The arrest of the Wagner family in November of 2018 was a shock to those who knew them. The charges were heinous, aggravated murder with the prosecutors seeking the death penalty. The family, once part of the community's fabric, stood accused of tearing it apart now. Jake Wagner's guilty plea in April of 2021, where he confessed to killing five of the victims, revealed the depths of the betrayal and the darkness of the plot. His testimony against his family members in order to not receive the death penalty underscored the tragic unraveling of two families intertwined in a fatal dance of custody and control. Jake received a life sentence without the possibility of parole. His brother George received eight life sentences. Mother Angela got a 30-year sentence for her role in helping cover it all up. And Father Billy, awaiting his trial for murder, which will soon start in May of 2024. And likely, he too will spend the rest of his life in jail. So, they were two of the most twisted and strange stories that we have for you guys today. If you want more creepy true crime episodes, then check out our other podcast called Everytown we do deep dives into the strangest cases that you've never heard of. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Appreciate it very much. I'll see you soon.